You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting cityschurch.com. For the last three weeks uh, here in the month of August, we as a church have been hitting reset. And if uh, you can remember way back to the first sermon, the goal of this series has been for us to come back to the foundation. Uh, The goal has been for us to, to step back and to catch our breath and to remember who God is and who we are and how we're supposed to live in this world. And the timing of this reset is important because here we are at the end of summer and we're about to step into a new season. And I want us as a church to be ready for what God has for us. I've been praying and expecting by God's grace that this fall is going to be fruitful for our church. He is at work here. God is at work in your lives, and uh, I think this fall is going to be a special time for us. So I want us to be anchored and refreshed and excited about what God has next for us, and so that's why we're doing this reset. And I want to go ahead and tell you again the, the foundation, the organizing principle that we've been coming back to. You've heard me say this now for three weeks, and I really want this to sink in, okay? This is how it goes. The more we are assured of God's love and of how much we don't deserve it, the more we are humbled and filled with joy, then the more we are poured out in love for others, which all amounts to magnifying the glory of God. And for today's sermon, we're going to look closer at this part on the glory of God. And in order for us to do that, we need to slow down for a minute, and I think we should consider uh, some basic questions that I think we can tend to overlook when it comes to this topic. And so here's the plan for the sermon. Super simple, straightforward. We're just looking at three questions, okay? Number one, what is the glory of God? Number two, how is the glory of God magnified? And then number three, why does it all matter? Okay, those are the three questions. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, it is in your love that we come right now to your word. And we are asking in your love, Father, Speak to us. You know better than we do all the different things that we're bringing into this place. You know every heart in this room. You know the heavy hearts and the elated hearts. You know the broken hearts and the distracted and the busy and the tired. You know all things, and therefore you know us. You know us. And so we're asking, Father... You who know us, by your grace, show us more of who you are. Make us know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first question, this is question 1.1. What is the glory of God? Now, when it comes to churchy words and phrases, I think the glory of God has to be on the top of that list. There's a good chance you've heard that phrase before. If you've been coming to this church, it's, it's one of the most common things that we say in churches like ours. And there, there are a couple reasons why that's the case, right? I'll give you two reasons. One's a good reason, one's not so good. The first reason, this is the good reason, the first reason why we talk about the glory of God a lot is because the glory of God is always relevant. There is no conversation, in fact, where the glory of God is not relevant, and so it makes all kinds of sense to talk about the glory of God. That makes sense, right? That's the first reason. That's a good reason. Here's the second reason, not so good. 
Second reason we can talk about the glory of God a lot is because we can make the glory of God a generic catch-all phrase that we treat like a tax on conversations that we want to sound spiritual. Sometimes we can make the glory of God simply jargon, just jargon. And it's, it's one of those things that's much easier for us to hear than to actually describe. So, for, for example, uh, a few weeks ago, um, I was doing some, some uh, training on, like, pastoral leadership, logistics-type stuff, and I was watching this video of this leadership expert pastor talk about these logistics, and he had, I don't know, four or five principles um, that were really helpful. Like, I watched this video, and I was helped by what this guy was saying, but then at the end of the talk that he was giving, the very last thing he said, he, he said something like this, this little comment he made, like, now, all these principles, you know, for this or that will help you for the glory of God. Just kind of threw it in at the end. And when I heard him say that, that's when I realized, like, that was the first time he had mentioned God the whole talk. That was the, up to that point, there, there had been nothing said about God, nothing about the glory of God. And so then when I heard it, I was stuck because I know the glory of God is always relevant. But the, the way that it was referred to in this particular talk bothered me. It, it bugged me a little bit. What, what did he mean by for the glory of God? Like, why did he say that? It, it, felt, it felt kind of cheap. To me, it, it felt um, kind of like he just said it to say it, like it was just sort of tacked on there at the end. And I realized in watching this video, I do the same. I, sometimes I can refer to the, the glory of God and just kind of as, as a throwaway word. And I just, I, and watching the video and kind of see, I just, I don't want to do that. Like I don't want to treat the glory of God as a throwaway word. And so, what are we talking about when we say it? What do we mean when we say the glory of God? What does the Bible say about the glory of God? So th that's what we're doing here today. Okay, we're looking at the Bible to learn what is the glory of God. And in the Bible, there are two main words for glory. There's the, the Hebrew word kavod in the Old Testament, and there is the Greek word doxa in the New Testament. And they both have the same basic meaning. They're used hundreds of times in the Bible. And every time, we, hundreds of times in the Bible, and every time we see the word, it means something. It matters. In the Old Testament, the word glory or kavod it literally means heaviness or weight or substance. Okay, here, here are a few examples. Exodus 24, verses 16 and 17. Listen to this. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. The appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses later in Exodus 33, verse 18, he prays to God and he says, please show me your glory. And God replied to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. Then over in the Psalms, in Psalm 19, verse 1, the psalmist David says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
Then in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, the prophet Isaiah has this vision of the temple, which is also like a throne. And there are these seraph angels in there calling out. And this is what the angel was saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I think Isaiah 6 is especially helpful because holy and glory are both used in the same sentence. And I think when we see those words together, it can help us understand what they mean. First, when it comes to God's holiness, right? When we're talking about God's holiness, it refers to the totality of all of God's perfections. God as holy is the most fundamental way that we talk about God. It means that God is set apart from everyone and everything. It means that all of who God is, he is that as the one who is set apart. God is the Holy One. And now we saw in the first sermon, if you can remember, back in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 16, the Bible says very plainly that God is love. The Bible says that. Well, here in Isaiah 6, 3, the Bible says that God is holy. So God is love and God is holy. Which one is it? How do both of those predicates work? I think this is the way to say it. God is holy love. You might also remember back in the first sermon, I, I said that love doesn't define God, but that God defines love. And this is what I mean. God is love in his holiness. God is love in a category all his own. That is what it means that God is holy. The holy God who is love is holy love. And when we hear this, we, it's still kind of abstract, right? Like we, we're still talking about these, these, these big, invisible conceptual things, and it's hard for us to wrap our head around that. And that's, that's, that's right. That's okay. That's good. That makes sense. What about now for glory? What about when it comes to glory? Well, God's glory is the communication of God's holiness. If holiness is invisible, glory is visible. Holiness is conceptual. Glory is practical. It kind of goes like this. If holiness were the sun, like the, the sun up there, S-U-N, if holiness is the sun, then glory is like the rays of the sun. It's like the sunbeams that shoot out from the sun and that we get to feel. We feel the sun. Remember, glory means substance. It's, it's heaviness and, and weightiness. And so, therefore, it's felt. Glory is felt and seen and experienced. Glory is evidential. That's how the angel can say in Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. Glory is something the earth can be full of. That's how David can also say in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. You can declare glory. 
That's how Moses can pray in Exodus 33. Please show me your glory, God. You can, we can see glory. It can be shown. Glory means we're talking about something that we can see and hear and grasp. God's glory is the substance of God's holiness that we get to experience. That's also what glory means in the New Testament, the word doxa. It carries the idea of what's visible. The glory of God is the manifest presentation of God's nature. And this is why glory can never be, should never be, a throwaway word because glory is always talking about something that's real and something that's vivid. God's glory is the showcase of his heart. And historically, he has shown us his glory in more vivid ways than others. In the Old Testament, the main example is the Exodus. The Exodus was this big event when God rescued his people Israel from slavery in Egypt. And God says in Exodus, this is all about the glory of God. That whole event was about God showing his glory. It was a defining moment for the people of Israel when God displayed his nature. He showed his people who he was. And that whole event, as big as it is in the Old Testament, that was just a foreshadowing for a greater exodus to come, a greater rescue that would come. The most vivid display of God's nature, the greatest showcase of who God is, was when Jesus died on the cross for us. Because at the cross of Jesus was when God's mercy and God's justice came together. It was when sin was punished and when sinners were forgiven. That was when the God who is holy love himself came here in flesh and blood. Jesus, who is God the Son, came here to rescue us in person. And I love the way that the Gospels describe the crucifixion of Jesus because we see that when Jesus died, the whole sky went dark and the earth began to shake. There was an earthquake. And what happened is there was absolute sensory overload for all of humanity. Because in that moment, here in this world, the glory of God was shining the brightest. There is absolutely nothing abstract about a man being crucified. Pastor Kevin walked us through the Gospel of Mark, the crucifixion of Jesus a month ago, and we saw how intense and how real the crucifixion was Jesus who is real with real blood dying a real death. Jesus came, the most vivid display of God's glory because God's glory is real. God's glory is substance and weight. God's heart is mercy and grace that is visible. And so Jesus came to show us that. Jesus died to show us that. Jesus was raised from the dead to show us that. Jesus Christ is in his person and work, Jesus is the most vivid showcase of who God is. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, says Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And so when we're talking about glory, we're talking about what is real and visible and felt and experienced. And the entire earth, the Bible says, the entire earth is full of God's glory and an actual person is God's glory's most vivid display. This is a real thing. God's glory is a real visible thing. So then how do we magnify it? 
This is the second question. How do we magnify the glory of God? Okay, so track with me here in this sentence. Because God's glory is the weight or substance of his holiness, we ourselves cannot add to that. We can only see it. God's glory can't be multiplied. It can only be witnessed. We can't create or increase God's glory. We can only witness God's glory. And the problem is that we don't. Again, going back to Isaiah 6, verse 3, the seraph says there, the whole earth is full of God's glory. And all of us, we live on this earth. And so we must see God's glory all the time, right? But do we know what we're looking at? Do do we recognize what we're seeing? Do we get it? It kind of reminds me of, of, uh, of my kids when they play outside. Um, in the summertime, we, we spend a lot of time outside in our backyard. And uh, out in our backyard, we have dirt out there and rocks, a little bit of grass. And when it rains, we have mud and our, all the things that kids love to play in, you know, in the backyard. And the kids play outside and all of that. And inside our house, just for some perspective, inside our house, we have white colored walls in our kitchen right inside the door when you walk in. Um, if it's actually it's, it's the official title is steamed milk color. Okay, that's the walls in our kitchen. And for whatever reason, when the kids come inside after playing in the mud for two hours or so, um, they like to take their hands and just like rub them down the walls like this as they walk in. And, uh, and so it's kind of funny. Uh, and I, these kids are off the hook, not you guys. It's the younger ones I'm talking about, okay? It's the younger guys. These guys understand here. They get it. Um, this is the little ones I'm talking about. It's really interesting how the conversations go when they come in. If they come in and um, they, they've been playing in the dirt, they're walking. If I catch them at the front door, the conversation always goes like this every time. Hey, guys, hey, hey, wash your hands before you start touching everything. You know? I mean, they have no idea about germ theory. They have no idea, but they just don't care. You know? Hey, wash your hands before you start rubbing them on everything in the house. And every time I say that, without fail, do you, do you know what they do? They say, I think I'm good. Like, <laughs> I'm okay. And they hold them out like this for me to see. And I look at their hands and I just think, yeah. what you think is good and what I think is good are different things. Like those hands are not good. You need to wash those hands before you stick them in the bag of carrots. Like, you know, we got to. And, and here's, the, th- here's the, the problem with that is that the, my, the kids, the little ones, they don't really know exactly what they're looking for. They don't know exactly what it is that that I'm seeing that I want them to see. But if I were to give them some special glasses or if somehow I could magnify the way that their hands look, they would say, oh, I see it. I get it. I I see it all in the creases, the mud and the dirt. I, I get it. And I think that's the same thing that happens when the glory of God is magnified. We are not creating anything new and original. We're just being awakened to what is. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. And when it's magnified, we get it. We know what we're looking at. The sun is shining. 
The rain is falling. The birds are singing. My heart is beating. My lungs are breathing. My brain is working. And it all comes back to what? It all comes back to who? It all comes back to God. It all comes back to the God who is holy love. So then why is God doing that? Why does God make the sun shine and the rain fall and the birds sing and my heart beat and my lungs breathe and my brain work? Why does God make all of that happen? For the glory of God. Because God wants me to experience the substance of who he is. He wants me to know his heaviness. God wants me, he wants us to encounter his realness. And so when God's glory is magnified, it means that we encounter him more. It means that the realness of God who is holy love is experienced more deeply. Here's the simplest way to say it. Magnifying the glory of God means we experience more of God. That's the point. More of God. And that's what Revelation 21 is all about. This is why it all matters. It's the third question. Why does it all matter? It all matters in short because heaven is more of God. This earth as we now know it is passing away, and one day it will be made into a new earth. That new earth is what the Bible calls heaven. And in this new earth, in this new reality, there will be more of God. That's the whole point of everything. That's the purpose for everything, more of God. Revelation 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The Apostle John here in the book of Revelation is giving us a glimpse into this new creation. He's showing us what the world is going to be like when everything is said and done. And John describes it by stating two current things that will be absent because two other things will be present in new ways. Here's what's absent. There will be no temple and there will be no need for light. So there's no sun or moon. Now, why? Well, the temple is the place where God dwells. And that's not going to be needed in the new creation because the whole earth will be like a temple. In the new creation, the whole world is the place where God dwells. And right now, if we're honest, right now, a lot of times we would like for God to have his own place and for us to have ours. If, if we're honest, like with how we operate, with how we live, sometimes we wish that we could just relegate God to Sunday mornings. Or maybe we wish that God would be satisfied with just a few parts of our lives and not want the whole thing. Like, God, can you just give me some area of my life that can belong only to me? We live that way. Now, we know it doesn't work that way with God here. And it especially will not work that way in the new creation, which means 
in your life, if you like having places in your life where God can't enter, you're not going to like heaven. Because in heaven, in the new creation, God will be so near, so in your face, so all around you, so much in everything that you do, that his name will be written on your forehead. God will be everywhere and God will be in everything, everywhere and everything is his. And in this new creation, there's not going to be a sun, there's not going to be a moon, because the glory of God will be the light. We will not need any help seeing anything because there is nothing that will be unseen. With God's unfiltered presence comes God's unfiltered glory. All that will be visible, all that will be visible is the substance and radiance and weight of God. The whole earth, the new earth, the whole thing will be thick with the glory of God, so thick and so overwhelming and so real that we are going to need new bodies to take it in. And this is where when we're thinking about the new creation, we don't have categories really. We have to use our imaginations here. And this is where C.S. Lewis is helpful, okay? In the new creation, it will be so real so much more real than, than things are right now that right now, compared to that realness, we are like transparent beings. That's the way Lewis imagines it in his book, The Great Divorce. Lewis is dreaming in this, in this book of the world to come. And in this dream, he writes that the light and the grass and the trees of the new world will be so much more solid than things in our country that men are ghosts by comparison. So Lewis imagines that Daisies will be hard as diamonds. And that one leaf will be heavier than a sack of coal. It will all, everything, will be more real than things are now. And we will all be more awake because we will have more of God. Because God's glory will be in every nook and cranny. Because God's glory in that day will ultimately be magnified. Another way to say it is that God's glory magnified in the new creation means there will be more of God close and clear. More of God close and clear. I think that's what Revelation 21 is saying here. That's why there's no temple and no light. God's dwelling place is the whole world, so God's going to be close, right? God's glory is the light, so God will be clear. More of God, close and clear. That is the future world that God is preparing for us and for which we are being prepared. The glory of God will be everywhere, and we will live in his glory. It will be, it will be more of God, close and clear. And here's the thing. One day in the future, that will be this world. And... And we can begin right now to live that way. Right now, in our lives, we can magnify the glory of God. We can right now, right now in our lives, we can experience more of God close and clear. And I want to give you here in closing three ways how. 
These are three ways that here and now we can experience more of God close and clear. Another way to say it is that here are three ways that we magnify the glory of God. Number one, be assured of God's love for you and of how much you don't deserve it. It all comes back to God's love. In the book of Jude in the New Testament, there's this amazing command. Jude is writing to Christians. He's He's encouraging these Christians to persevere. And this is what Jude says in Jude 21. He says, keep yourselves. I love this command. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Church, don't forget about the love of God. We cannot live without the love of God. So remember God's love. Meditate on God's love. Revel in God's love. Sing God's love. Share God's love. Live like God's love for you is true because it is. Hear this, church. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. All right, here's the second way we can magnify the glory of God here and now. Live humbly and filled with joy. Understand the kind of love that the Father has given to us. He calls us his children, for so we are. And therefore, my life is filled with hope, and that hope emanates a certain kind of character. We are humbled. I mean, we are bewildered with gratitude, and we are filled with joy, and I mean rock-bottom joy. Because of God's love, because of who God has made me to be, because I can never be separated from God's love, I have joy. I have abiding unassailable, everlasting joy. So the enemy can dig and pry and scrape his way down to the bottom of my heart. And when he gets there, do you know what he finds? A smile. A smile. Rock bottom joy because of God's love, because of who God has made us to be. Third way that we can magnify the glory of God here and now. Pour yourself out in love for others. The transformation that God accomplishes in our hearts is not a dead-end road. God pours his love into our hearts so that we will become channels of his love into the lives of others. And that love always lines up with truth. That love is always a difference maker. And that love always comes with a cost that we gladly absorb for the sake of love because that is the way of Jesus. And that is what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do, that kind of love. So we love with that kind of love. And each of these things are all happening together. Right? This is the matrix of the Christian life. This is what it means to live under the lordship of Jesus. And when we live this way, the more we are assured of God's love and of how much we don't deserve it, then the more we are humbled and filled with joy, then the more we are poured out in love for others. When we live this way, what does that all amount to? It amounts to having more of God. All of that amounts to having more of God close and clear now. It means having more of God in my life. It means having more of God in everything I do. It means magnifying the glory of God. And I want that so badly in my life. I want that so badly in my family. I want that so badly for our church. Like I want this for our cities. 
I want us all to long for this, for more of God in our lives. And this is where, as I've thought about this, as I've been praying and walking through this over the last few weeks, it really all just comes back, I think, to the first and most consistent prayer that I've prayed for our church since we became a church four years ago. And that prayer is that Jesus would be more real to us than anything else. One day, we will see Jesus' face. We will see his face. I just want to know him more now. I want to see him more now. I want us to see Jesus more now, and I want the Twin Cities to see more of Jesus through us. That's what we're doing here. That's what the reset is all about. And so we're going to sing now.